So again, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. It's also printed on page 10 in your worship guide. I do invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. And as we hear this word this morning, it's my joy to remind you once again that this is indeed the word of the living and true God. It is a precious gift to us. It is true forever, and it is life-giving. And so may we receive it as such today. Let us hear the word of our God, Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our confession of faith this month has been the Heidelberg Catechism. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, you can find that on page 14. Again, if you are uh, a member of the Proclamation family, if this is your, your normal church home, and you've been with us uh, for any length of time, we pray and hope that these words are becoming familiar to you. Uh, this confession of faith is one that we cycle through, so we don't do it every month, but uh, a couple times throughout the year. And these words are, are one of the confessions that was born out of the Reformation, which we remember this weekend. But I just want to point your attention to it as we begin this morning. We'll come back to it after the sermon. But remember that great question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And immediately we are pointed to an essential truth for us as the people of God, that I am not my own. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation and because, remember, it starts with, I'm not my own, I belong to God, and it ends with that. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. We encourage you to meditate on those glorious truths, to perhaps memorize this simple question and answer. Now we hope that that is familiar to you. The second question of the catechism may not be as familiar to you. It's not one that we use for our confession of faith, but we did print it today on the inside cover of your worship guide on page two under the reflections. And not only is that a great follow-up question to the one that I just read for you, but it actually is also a very good basic outline for the book of Romans. If you remember the simple uh, three G word outline I've shared with you before for Romans, guilt, grace, and gratitude. And we see it in this second question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Here's the question. What must you know 
to live and die in the joy of this comfort. So this, this wonderful comfort that we have in both life and death. What do we have to know in order to truly enjoy that? And here's the simple answer. Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. And that points us to the first three and a half chapters of Romans. The guilt that we have before the Holy God. Second, how I am set free from all my sin and misery. And that's where we see the grace of God poured out to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Chapters three and a half through 11 of Romans, roughly. And then third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. And this brings us to the final section of Romans, chapters 12 through 16, the gratitude section. And so today, we begin our study of this last section of the book of Romans, the gratitude section. And we look at just these first two verses of chapters 12. These are really the theme verses for the last five chapters. And once again, I'll give you a homework assignment. I will encourage you to meditate on these verses, even to memorize them. But it's only two verses. It's not all of Romans chapter 8 this time. Two verses, I'd encourage you to meditate on them and perhaps even memorize them. These opening verses are key to this closing section in Romans, this section that is filled with commands showing us how we are to express our gratitude to God for his grace given to us guilty sinners. But Paul does not just, he doesn't just give us a list of commands. He starts this last section not with a lecture on self-improvement, but with gospel-centered principles for sanctification so that we might become more like our Savior Jesus. And that's the desire of the heart of every child of God. So here's my summary for the main point of this opening section. The mercies of God enable you and compel you to offer your very bodies to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Or a little broader, the mercies of God enable you and compel you to offer your very bodies. That is, everything that you think or say or do every desire and affection, what you want and what you love, to offer all of that to God your Savior as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This morning we'll look at that in four ways. <clears throat> we'll consider the motivation and means, the mode, the method, and finally the measure of this calling. And children, I encourage you, children and adults, hopefully, I encourage you through the power of the Holy Spirit to pay attention throughout the whole service. But you might be interested to listen for what a caterpillar and a butterfly have to teach us about loving Jesus. But let's begin with the motivation and the means. So the motivation that inspires us, that compels us to offer our very bodies to God as living sacrifices, the means that empowers us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, the motivation and the means are both the mercies of God. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
Now, Paul uses the word therefore again. And remember, whenever you see that, it's pointing you back to something that he's already said. He just closed chapter 11 with that wonderful doxology of praise to God. And just before that, in verse 32 of chapter 11, he said, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may, that he may have mercy on all. So here's the immediate context for that word, therefore. God's mercy in saving disobedient Jews and Gentiles. The broader context, we could say, is all of the books so far. Romans 1 through 11. Our guilt before God and his amazing grace. And Colin did a wonderful job of reviewing that summary for us last week, leading up to that exultant doxology. This morning, I just want to share with you two portions of that before we consider some other examples of God's great mercy toward us. Think of Romans 3 once again. <clears throat> and remember, Romans 3 is in the guilt section of this book of Romans. So Paul is showing us, arguing from the scriptures, from God our creator, how we are all guilty before this holy God. And Romans 3 says, all, both Jews and Greeks, in other words, all people are under sin. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, and he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. <clears throat> so, beloved, this means that you will never meet anyone who is righteous such that God would have to reward him or her in any way for their righteousness. You are not that person. And you will never meet that person. You will never meet anyone who has done good in a way that could put him or her in a right relationship with God. You are not that person. You will never meet that person. You will never meet anyone who is not responsible to and accountable to God. So Paul has shown us this. We are all guilty before God. So we ask the question, how can then anyone, any person in all the world, how can any of us today be right with God? How can we enjoy peace with God? How can we worship God? How can we look forward to this day with joy? And beloved, it is only by the mercy of God that is made possible, that is given to us through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul shows us in the grace section that we have looked at. Particularly, one clear portion is Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, where Paul writes, For while we were still weak at the right time... Christ died for the ungodly. And then he says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the mercy that we need is in response to our weak and our helpless condition. The mercy that we need that God gives us is in response to our rebellious, sinful condition. We receive this mercy from and we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul's made it clear in Romans, but we see it in and from Jesus. This mercy is often seen in the life of Jesus and how he relieves human suffering. <clears throat> You'll see this all throughout the Gospels, over and over and over again. As Jesus encounters people who are suffering, he is merciful towards them. He has compassion on them. One example, Mark chapter 5. Jesus comes and he meets a man with an unclean spirit. 
And we cannot imagine the sorrow and the anguish and the suffering of not only this man, but of his family, those who know and love him. We're told that he lived in the tombs. Imagine how lonely he was. We're told that he was in anguish night and day. He's always crying out. He's cutting himself with stones. And Jesus comes. And he does for this man what no one else could do. He delivers him and he heals him. And the man rightly wants to be with Jesus. He wants to be with the one who has shown him mercy. And Jesus says, no. Instead, go to your home and tell everyone how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the mercy of God changed this man's life. Think of the mercy of Jesus in relieving human suffering. But the mercy of Jesus is often seen in how he forgives sin. This we also see throughout the Gospels. Example after example after example. One clear one. There's a man who's lame. He cannot walk. But he has some great friends who will stop at nothing to bring him to Jesus. The crowd is blocking them, so they climb up on top of the house. They make a hole in the roof. They lower their friend down to Jesus. Jesus sees his suffering, and what does he say to him? Your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. So we see the mercy of Jesus not only in relieving our human suffering, but in forgiving our sin. And then listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. So you can see it in what Jesus does and his interactions with people. You can see it in what he says and the truth that comes out of his lips that brings us life. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So think about what Jesus is saying. The truth of God, who God is, how to have a relationship with him, that truth is naturally hidden from the world. And this closed loop of relationship between the Father and the Son, they are united in perfection. And there's not a single person in the world, not one of us can work our way into that relationship. We cannot take our sinful self and make ourselves holy enough, righteous enough, that all of a sudden we can be united to that triune God. And none of us is wise enough or smart enough to find our way in. And the reality is, left to ourselves, none of us even want to be in. But what does Jesus say? We learn in the scriptures that we are dead in our sin. Our sin makes us blind to the glory of God. We have chosen darkness over light. We have actually chosen death over life, bondage to sin over the freedom that Jesus brings. We have chosen the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And it is only the Son, Jesus Christ, the one who knows the Father perfectly, only he can open to us the knowledge of God, the way to God. And for this to happen, for this to happen in your life, Jesus himself must lay down his life for his enemies. Jesus himself must be numbered with the transgressors. He must willingly show mercy to you when you deserved none. Jesus 
the Lord and King of the universe. He has every right to banish you to hell, and instead he delights in bringing you to heaven. So beloved, the only reason that you know God today, that you can have rest in him and peace with him and comfort and hope both in life and in death is because Jesus Christ has had mercy on you. Jesus chose to reveal God to you personally. This means that Jesus himself knows your name. This means that Jesus himself, he wanted to rescue you, to deliver you from sin and death and darkness and depravity. It means that he looked on you just like that man with the unclean spirit, just like that man lowered through the roof down to him. He looked on you and all your sin and your misery and he willingly chose to die for you, to suffer for you in your place. This means that Jesus loves you and he has welcomed you into his kingdom. It means that he wants you with him now, fully glorified, and he is working out every detail of your life to ensure that that is exactly what happens. Beloved, this first point will be the longest one, but it is the most important point and part of this sermon. If you do not understand this mercy from God, if you have not received this mercy from God, you cannot, indeed you will not, offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. You will not obey God and you will not be thankful. But if you understand and receive this mercy, the rest will follow. It will flow from you, obedience and thanksgiving to God. And this is the pattern that we see all throughout the scriptures. Mercy leads to obedience. Grace leads to obedience. This is the motivation and the means for our obedience. I encourage you, when you're reading the scriptures, look for it. It's everywhere. First John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That is all mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And then what's the next statement? And everyone who thus hopes in him, you have all this mercy, purifies himself just as he is pure. So it's mercy first, and then it's the obedience, the purification that comes. It's everywhere in the scriptures. First Peter chapter two, but you are a chosen people, a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear it? Mercy, 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 the grace of God. And then what? Dear friends, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Mercy is both the motivation and the means for our obedience. It's everywhere in the scriptures. One more, Titus chapter 2. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. There's the grace. It teaches us. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldliness and selfish passions. It's the grace of God that teaches us to turn from our sin. To wait for this blessed hope that we have. Jesus Christ from heaven coming for us. Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself self for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own. All of that, mercy, 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 in the last phrase, eager to do what is good. This is the impact that the mercy of God has on us. It compels us to live for him. So beloved, God's mercy is both the motivation and the means for obedience, for holiness, for sanctification. We are going to study a lot of commands in Romans 12 and following. And you cannot do any of Romans 12 if you have not received God's mercy. You won't want to do any of Romans 12 if you do not appreciate God's mercy. If you don't see the depth of it and respond with gratitude. If you can't truly say, when someone asks you, how are you? If you can't truly say, better than I deserve. And not just as a rote saying that comes off of your lips, more than lip service. If you can't truly say that, you won't want to obey God. So what does that mean? What does that even mean? better than I deserve. Why would we say that? Let me help you understand what that means and why you should always be able to say that if you're a child of God. This is what it means. Think about your life before Christ. You were an enemy of God, the true king. You were and often still are an idolater. You worshiped the created things rather than the creator. You denied the God who made you. You scorned the sacrifice of the beloved son of God who came to give himself for you. You are better than you deserve because you were once an enemy of God, but now you are a beloved child of God only because Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God, bore the wrath of God in your place. So now almighty God treats you as better than you deserve. You deserve hell and he gives you heaven. You deserve wrath and he gives you mercy Every day, he has a heart of goodwill towards you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his favor, his never-ending favor is upon you. Think of the mercy he has shown you. All of your sins are forgiven. All your guilt and shame is taken away. You are now a part of the beloved bride of Christ, and he is coming for you to take you home to be with him in his kingdom with his people in his glorious presence where there will be no sin no sorrow no suffering only peace and joy and righteousness and justice and holiness forever amen so how are you better than i deserve why because of the mercies of god in christ jesus it's the mercies of god that have truly called us out of darkness into light Out of death, we were dead. He called us out of death into life. He has called us away from the broken cisterns that can hold no water to the fountain of living water. Our God in his mercy has called us away from investing in counterfeit trinkets that will not last to true treasure that lasts forever. Sinclair Ferguson says that sanctification flows from the gospel. What a wonderful phrase. He gets it. Sanctification flows from the gospel. And then he talks about 
planting the roots of our Christian lives in the soil of the gospel. Now, we ought to understand this living in Lancaster County, right? There is a lot of great soil in Lancaster County for farming and for gardening. If you have good soil and you do the work of planting your crops, the crops will take off. They will grow very well. But if you don't have good soil, it doesn't matter what else you do right, how hard you work, the crops will not grow as they are designed to grow or as you desire them to grow. They won't be healthy. So we've had this experience in our new home. and We created a new garden there, and we discovered that these walnut trees close to our garden are not good, that they poison the soil, and so they stunt or eliminate the growth of our garden. And, and I'd say we worked pretty hard to start that garden there. And it's kind of frustrating when you do all that work only to have these nearby walnut trees poison the soil. So you literally can see we have these pepper plants that we planted there. And it's, it's almost as if you told the pepper plants, go line up in order of height. Because the further away from the walnut trees, the taller they get. And the closer they are, the smaller, the more shriveled they are. Beloved, we grow in the soil of the gospel, the mercies of God, not in the soil of law, of works, of merit. That is poison that will stunt, that will kill your growth in Christ. So the exhortation that Paul gives in the beginning of Romans 12 is rooted in the soil of the gospel. It is rooted in the mercies of God and what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, not in what you do for him. So we must get this first point. Most of all, beloved, the motivation and the means for your sanctification, your growth in Christ, is always and only the mercies of God. Now let's move on. Second, the mode. And, and by mode, I mean the manner, or as in the, the location, the place where sanctification happens. And Paul says very simply, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul's using the language, he's, he's invoking the image of this Old Testament temple worship. The worshiper would come with an offering, a valuable, blemish-free animal from their flock. And they would offer it as a sacrifice, as a way of showing Truly, that all that you had was at God's disposal. You gave God your first and your best, not your leftovers. And now Paul is saying, now you come and you don't bring an animal as an offering, but your very self, your body as a living sacrifice, wholly, completely dedicated to God. This offering is your body. Beloved, what you do with your body matters. What you think with your mind, what you say with your mouth, what you do with your hands and your legs, what you do with your body, and in fact, even what you desire and what you love. What you do with your body reveals what is in your heart. And Paul says that this sacrifice is holy and acceptable to God. Holy means devoted to God or set apart for God. He's emphasizing once again that your very body belongs to God. It is not 
yours to do with as you please. You know, there's a lot of talk about consent these days. And a lot of that is good. There is a very important and good right lesson for us to learn that we ought not to do something to or with someone else's body that they do not consent to. There's a good lesson to learn in that. But I was thinking about this and I wondered what might change in our lives if we thought of consent in terms of our bodies and how they belong to God. So in other words, do you have God's consent in what you are doing with what you would call your body, but what in reality is his? Because your very body belongs to God. Paul says you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice. So do you have God's consent to eat what you eat? To drink what you drink? Whatever you put into your body, is that an offering to God? Can you enjoy that with thanksgiving, tracing the gift back to the giver in worship? Do you have God's consent to say what you say? Whatever comes out of your mouth, is that an offering to God? Do you have God's consent to go where you go, to do what you do, whether in public or in private, where everyone can see you or where no one can see you? Do you have his consent to fulfill the desires or feed the desires that you have? The point is, your body is not your own. That's not what the world will tell you today. And it's not what you will be tempted to believe. In fact, every day, I imagine that all of us, we live as if our bodies are our own. Multiple times a day. And this passage is a good reminder to meditate on it, to know we are not our own. We belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So what you do with your very physical body matters. It belongs to God. He has made it holy. That means set apart for him, devoted to your Savior. Paul says it is also acceptable to God. Now, it's not acceptable because of what you do. Through your own goodness, it is acceptable because of what Jesus has done for you. So now you are offering of obedience. This is a sacrifice that God himself will accept and count as righteous through Jesus. We prayed this in our prayer of confession through the merit and the mediation of Jesus Christ. This offering of your body is a living sacrifice. God made you alive when you were dead. When you were in Adam, you were dead to God, you were a slave to sin. You could not obey this command. You could not obey any of God's commands. But now you have received mercy from God And you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And so you are a living sacrifice. We saw this in Romans chapter 6, verse 11 through 13. Paul writes, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and your members, that's the very members of your body, to God as instruments 
for righteousness. And you are to do this, beloved, because you are now alive to God. You belong to God. So all that you have, all that you are, is now at God's disposal. I think most of you know we have enjoyed having our daughter Molly home from Ethiopia this week. And you might have seen that email that went out that she needed a car to have to be able to visit many people while she was here. And thankfully, one of our members was able to graciously provide that for her. So, the, so they gave her their car for her time was, while she was here as if that car belonged to Molly, as if it was her car. So then throughout her time here, Molly is the one who has decided how that car will be used, when it will be used, where it will go. It is at her disposal. She does with it as she wills. And this is the way it is to be with our very bodies. They do not belong to us. We give them to God. God is our Lord and King so that everything that we are, everything that we have belongs to him at his beck and call to do with as he wills. In view of God's mercy, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is a continual offering. This is not a once and done as if, okay, I did that. I'm, I'm good for the rest of my life. In fact, you have to do it multiple times a day. This is a daily offering. You die to yourself daily, hourly, even moment by moment you know you die to what you want and you learn to love what god wants you know every single one of us we all have to learn to say no to the sinful desires and affections of our hearts that's true for every person we have desires and affections that do not line up with god's holy will for our life and we must learn to say no to those desires and yes to jesus and what he desires Beloved, I want you to consider this. You know, Paul gives us this command. Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Do you realize you already are offering your body as a sacrifice to someone, to something? You are living, you are giving your life to someone or something every moment, every day. And I don't know what it is for each one of you. Perhaps right now the Holy Spirit is convicting you he's bringing to your heart and mind the things that you give your life to the things you give your body to i don't know what it is the spirit knows what it is but i do know this only jesus is worthy of the sacrifice of your life of your body if you live for others for the things of this world you are in for a world of hurt regret and shame and guilt and pain what you think, what you want them to give to you, to bring to you, they cannot fulfill. Only Jesus can rescue you from that life. Only Jesus can heal you from that pain and only Jesus can forgive you from that sin. And when you give your life to him, when you present your very body to him, only Jesus will handle that gift with the utmost care and love. Only Jesus will value that gift as it deserves. Only Jesus will do you no harm so that your trust in him will not come back to bite you. You will not regret it. The scriptures say those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Jesus alone is worthy of your life, of this sacrifice. 
So you present your body to him as a living sacrifice. And this is, Paul says, your spiritual worship. Or some other versions uh, give a more literal rendering, your, your reasonable or your rational service. And the emphasis here is that yielding your whole, your whole self to God is eminently reasonable. This is, this is logical. This, this is the natural flow from understanding the mercy of God to you. Since God has been so merciful and is merciful, you know, if you fail to dedicate your life to him, that's the height of folly. It makes no sense. Now, how do we do this? How do we make this offering? We move on to the third, the method. And there are two aspects to this, both a negative and a positive. First, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. That's the negative aspect. You may have heard the phrase, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't live like the world that does not know and love Jesus. Now, that, the word for this world is, it refers to this present age. The world that is on this side of eternity. The world that is unaware of God who he is, what he's done. And Paul says, don't be conformed to a life that is wrapped up in things that do not matter and that do not last. Don't give your life to, don't orient your life around that which is only seen and temporary. John talks about this in 1 John 2. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. Why? Because it's passing away. It's passing away. So, beloved, don't think like this world that doesn't know and love Jesus. Don't talk like this world. Don't act. Don't live like this world. Don't use your body the way the world uses their bodies. Moses in Hebrews 11 is a, a great example of one who did not conform to this world. That chapter, the Hall of Fame of Faith, is often referred to, says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy, and I love this phrase, the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose disgrace for the sake of Christ. He regarded that as of greater value than the riches of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So Moses, by the power of the same spirit that's in you, in him, was able to resist that temptation and not be conformed to the world. And this points us to the second aspect. Not only do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. Now this is indeed a command. So this is something that we are called to do. But it's also an ongoing reality. Again, not a once and done accomplishment. In fact, you could think of it this way. Paul saying, be being transformed. So God is working this in you, be being transformed. And it's an ongoing change. Now that word transformed means to be changed. It comes from that word metamorphosis. And here's where the caterpillar and the butterfly can help us. Right? We're familiar with this example. The the change from a, a caterpillar to a butterfly is a picture of how we are to be transformed, how we are to be different, how we are to be changed. So think about it. What's the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly? One, there may be many differences. Maybe kids could share some that they know with me. But one is, so the caterpillar is fuzzy and slow, right? A butterfly is beautiful 
and it can fly. It's quite a big difference between the two. The point is, they're completely different. A transformation has taken place. And this is what our lives are to be like as God's mercy works in us. It's the means of our sanctification. That means the mercy of God changes us. And for this, this is daily. This is ongoing. It's not one time, daily, ongoing. And Paul tells us how to see this happen in our lives. The positive aspect of it, he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So instead of feeding our sinful, worldly, deceived desires, we feed our minds the gospel. The truth of God's word, the goodness, the beauty, the glory of Jesus. And what happens when we do that? Beloved, when you do that, you're changed from the inside out. At the level of your heart, your desires, your affections. That's why this gathering is so important. It's one of the primary ways that God does this in your heart. Because right now, your mind is being renewed. Right now, together. As you hear the word of God proclaimed, as the glory of Christ is put on display, your mind is meditating on, beholding the glory of Jesus, and you are being transformed in this moment, in this place. This is a holy place when God comes to meet with us and speak to us through his word. But God does this also throughout the week. As we renew our minds, we set our minds on him. Philippians chapter 2, we are encouraged to have the mind of Christ, Jesus, which is in you. He says it's in you and have it. And then he lays out the humility of Christ, his willingness to die for us. Or Colossians chapter 3, since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It's not hard to understand what God is telling us to do in his word. It's hard to do. To turn our hearts from the things of this world and set them on Christ. But the more you do that, the more you long to do that. Set your minds on things above, beloved. Or or Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And what is he like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree planted in the soil of the gospel that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. There's that wonderful image planted in the soil of the gospel. Renewing your minds by the truth of God's word leads to a fruitful life, a transformed life. Beloved, God's word has the power to renew minds and transform lives. So what are you setting your mind on? The method of presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice is to resist being conformed to the world by the renewal of our mind. So we think about, we meditate on the truth of God's word. We believe it, we trust it, and we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to obey it. Now, finally, the measure, that is the proof or the test. One of the fruits of presenting your body to God as a living sacrifice of not being conformed to this world, of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, is that you will love the will of God. You will love the will of God. 
Verse 2 says that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you live a life of gratitude to God for his mercies, you come to see. You come to love. You come to know his will as good. God has the best possible purposes in view. His glory in you becoming more like Christ. And to accomplish this, he changes you at the level of your heart, your desires and your loves, so that you do not self-destruct. You realize that, don't you? If God leaves you to yourself and your own desires, you will self-destruct. So his will is to rescue you from that. So you learn to love the good, God's good will. His will is also seen as acceptable. You delight, you learn to delight, to submit to his will. His commandments are not burdensome, burdensome to you. And his will is perfect. It's perfect in wisdom. It's perfect in righteousness. And you delight in it because you know only God can overrule evil and bring good from it in the end. Only God has the power and the love and the wisdom to do this. And you know this. Why do you know this? Because you've seen it in Christ. You've seen it at the cross of Christ in his mercy. And so we're back at the beginning. The mercies of God enable you and compel you to offer your very bodies everything that you think and say and do every desire, every affection, what you want, what you love, to offer it all to God as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. That first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, it teaches us we are not our own. We belong body and soul, in life and in death. So it's not just a future hope of eternal life in heaven. It's now, our bodies now, our lives now, now belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, to the one who has had mercy on us. And because we belong to him, he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, with his mercies in view, he makes us this very moment, this very day, wholeheartedly willing and able and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. 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 May God be glorified in our bodies. Let's pray together.